Welcome to Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. Here are your hosts, Alex Kingsbury and Danny Piper. Hello again and welcome to episode nine of Printing Money. My name is Alex Kingsbury and with me today is my co-host Danny Piper. Hello, Danny. Hey, Alex. So, Danny, you and I just uh, not long ago spent some time together in Austin at Formnext Forum. It was a good time for us, wasn't it? A lot of, you know, team building, a bit of dancing on the dance floor. We got matching tattoos. uh, Exactly. A little celebrating for for those that weren't there. It was a a fun event and of the first of the Formnext in the U.S. events. So uh, if you missed it, too bad, but uh, there'll be more to come. Yeah, exactly. And it was I thought it was great too, actually, for the both of us to um, get to talk to a couple of companies that we've been mentioning on this podcast and um, you know, meet them for the first time and also, you know, meet meet a couple of listeners as well. I know that we've both got like a bit of feedback, which was really great. And we love to hear it, honestly. So like please just, you know, get in touch. Tell us what you like or like what also you want to hear more of. You know, feel free. But yeah. Really great to connect with the community in person, as always, and and likewise with yourself, Danny. Um, you know, super fun time for us. So, hey, let's get stuck into these um, the deals of the month because there has been a little bit. Uh, it's been kind of interesting, I think, particularly on the M and A side. Um, so, uh, shall we kick off? I reckon with um, Align acquires Cubicure. Cubicure is a Vienna based. SLA style company. They've got some really good resins. They've also got some patents around a hot lithography technology. Uh, really, with their value proposition being that they, in, with this hot lithography technology, it enables the processing of higher viscosity resins. Um, and higher viscosity generally is what leads to much better properties. I thought this was interesting from a number of different angles, but uh, Danny, what are your thoughts? From my standpoint, the best thing about this deal, it's a deal that uh, you know basically had a return for shareholders. And it's great, right? This is a positive announcement in the industry. It's a strategic buyer coming in. Uh, I think they're, you know, the sentiment, at least if you talk to one of our former uh, co-hosts here on the show, Arno Held, that this is a positive return for AM Ventures. So in sort of the landscape of a lot of the M&A deals we've been talking about, there's been a lot of forced deals and transactions. I'm, I'm very happy that the industry is getting a positive result on this one. When I say that, it's really for the shareholders because this creates a ripple effect I think we're going to talk about for companies uh, like 3D Systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean... I think the thing here is, you know, Align, um, uh, many many of you are going to be familiar with this company because they really have one of those great like sort of poster child stories about 3D printing. Um, Align 3D print, currently the molds for their aligners, this is for, you know, orthodontic work. Um, and the the process so far has been that they're, they're, they're printing the molds and vacuum forming over, the, uh, over these molds, whereas the acquisition of Cubicure really signals an interesting shift in the industry. They're making millions of these appliances per day. Uh, this, is, this is, like I said, it's one of the best stories in 3D printing, really. Hugely profitable, as you mentioned, Danny. But acquiring Cubicure signals a shift towards doing direct printing of aligners. And this is definitely something that the industry has been wanting to do for quite some time. Um, and as I mentioned, Cubicure has this hot lithography technology that does enable the processing of higher viscosity resins, which means that you can now get 
um, you know, end-use parts, these, these, these dental orthodontic appliances um, that have the required properties um, that are needed for this kind of application. What it's saying is, you know, a line would really prefer to be direct printing rather than printing molds and vacuum forming. Why would they not? You're going to, you know, skip out one processing whole step there. So, yeah, this is this is definitely a shift happening in the industry um, and, and a really positive one, I think, for 3D printing because what it's showing is that we've got these innovations in technology that are really opening up, um, you know, new, new, new manufacturing routes. Yeah, they're definitely, I mean... Eliminating a step in the equation is a big step for uh, obviously a line. And I think, you know, from the banking side of the world, we've always used this analogy, you know, in 3D printing that uh, if you had to think about application versus the technology, it's always an Invisalign versus a 3D system story and, and which one's more valuable. Well, you know, obviously, I think the ability to integrate new technologies quickly a line is starting to vertically integrate here so it's, it's this is uh it creates another interesting kind of a twist so uh, you know one of the questions that you know really comes out of it is what does this do what's the time frame to really integrate cubicure into a line's uh technology how quickly do they pivot because i think there was some blowback for people that uh thought about 3d systems and what does this do for 3D systems as a whole going forward? Their stock price dropped 15% sort of upon the announcement of this deal. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a big question mark. 3D systems did respond to with, with a, a, like an official response to this acquisition. So that's, that's not super usual, but given how much revenue um, a line represents to 3D systems, this was definitely needed. And absolutely, they would have had a lot of shareholders knocking on their door saying, what does this acquisition, you know, of Cubicure represent to 3D Systems, and how much is it a threat to your future revenue stream? Um, so, you know, 3D Systems uh, reported back in this press release saying that their forecasts remain intact, and they also, I, I liked the wording. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was very PR-ish. I thought where they said Cubicure's R&D efforts, um, and I'm quoting here, have no impact. And, and that 3D systems will continue their own R&D direct printing into direct printing of aligners. So, yeah, this little sort of almost jibe at Cubicure being, but basically they're saying Cubicure is not commercially ready. Um, it's it's still in R&D phases. There's still a little bit of a tech transfer, um, you know, scaling up the, the technology readiness levels that need to happen here before uh, the Cubicure technology is ready for real commercial implementation. And that's that's what they're saying. And then and then they're also saying, and we are also running in parallel our own R&D process of, of direct printing. So uh, the one thing on that press release that uh, also is in there is that they actually had a line make a comment as well that 3D Systems is going to be a continued you know, critical partner is the word that they use. And I think that's right. I mean, I think from a standpoint of, I don't, and maybe somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're not going to take Cubicure, you're going to flip the switch and all of a sudden you're going to go straight to the direct printing and it's going to go right away. Although it's it's going to happen. I don't know how quickly and rapidly that'll happen. So I think that comments in these, I'm just going to, you know, read between the lines it's not going to be the immediate impact. The question is, it's probably going to be a longer impact. And the question is going to be when, right? And so this is going to weigh heavily on 3D systems over time because everyone's going to have a cloud of, you know, what's going on with Cubicure inside of a line and when is this transition going to occur um, and to the extent that it is, you know, ready to go. I don't think a line 
makes a $79 million acquisition in something that isn't probably leading to a very positive result in such a way that it would go into integrating in production, right? I think it's, it's you know, they weren't looking for a science project, all right? I think, you know, for them to vertically integrate, <laughs> they, they were looking for something that was nearing or getting Pretty to the point of prime time. Uh, yeah. and, but by the way, they, the other thing to be, think about from a, from a lines perspective, if Cubicure was successful in getting to the point I can see where they're preemptive and buy it because, right, they have other companies, the Smile Directs of the Worlds and other aligner companies that have emerged over time because Align is the price leader. I mean, when I say price, the most expensive uh, of all of the aligner companies that are out there. And that's because they were first to market and they go through the orthodontist to sell them who marked it up. So literally. Yeah, Align has amazing sales channels. I mean, that's one of their real competitive strengths, actually. As a consumer, right, as I priced a line versus Smile Direct and some of the others, um, you know, for my kids, uh, I found the paying 3x of a price increase or more for Invisalign isn't really worth it. And I think that's where the, the direct-to-consumer approach is, um, you know, is something that I think, uh, you know, the other companies go after. And for those that uh, have to come out of pocket to pay these, it's, you know, I think that's why these other companies are very interested also in cost savings. So Cubicure could have played a bigger segment in the market for other companies. And Align just got out there in front and probably uh, took this transaction down. Yeah. Not, not as much for, for 3D systems, right? This isn't pointed at 3D systems as much as if this is successful, they don't want a competitor to get it. So I don't think there's an adversarial relationship with 3D systems and Align is sort of the point. I do think there will be some integration and time frame for it to really take off. So probably the, the next quarter or two or three or four, I don't know, um, you're not going to see probably a big impact. I think that's what 3D systems is trying to signal to the market. Uh, but but all bets are off after. Yeah, yeah. No, it certainly has been a very sort of a closely held relationship between the two of them. Um, I, before we finish up here, I, I think I, it just w- is worth mentioning. Um, you mentioned uh, Arno, who's been on the podcast as a guest before, um, and and in the actual episode that he was on, we discussed Quantica, who had raised uh, forty million euros in a Series A. So Quantica is also doing high viscosity resins, different technology, um, not not an SLA uh, slash DLP type technology. It's it's material jetting, but but they very much are going after the dental market as well. Um, and then another competitor is BCN three D. So so this this uh, you know sphere of high viscosity resins is definitely sort of it's it's pushing through the next frontier in resin processing for sure but but having said that i think cubicure is definitely ahead of the game and this acquisition is absolutely representative of that so you know congrats to cubicure congrats to um, am ventures fantastic exit for them exactly so that's the biggest news of of the uh probably of the at least in the last, you know, probably couple of months outside of the, uh, all the other craziness going on. So it's actually um, true. It's, it's like, it's, it's probably some of the best news the industry's had, <laughs> you know, uh, I think all, all year. Uh, so, so anyway, moving on, we have, um, a, a little one, which, which admittedly I think snuck in just before the uh, recording of our last podcast, but we, we didn't quite grab it in time. Nano dimension acquired additive flow, um, additive Flow is a UK-based 3D design and simulation software. 
Uh, I think, you know, not a huge amount to say about this other than the fact that NanoDimension has obviously been in the news and on this podcast for other reasons, um, other acquisition reasons um, with Stratasys, uh, but they have already sort of bowed out now of that process and said that they are, you know, pursuing other M&A um, alternatives. And, you know, I think this is part of that strategy. Not really entirely sure, to be honest, how Additive Flow really complements um, Nano Dimension and their product suite. I, I, I think we're still trying to see how it is that Nano Dimension is is pulling together some sort of acquisition strategy. But um, interested to get your thoughts, Danny. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I again, it, it's not one we know a ton about. I mean, they, it, from our understanding, they developed the optimization software to unlock multi-material and multi-parameter uh, process capabilities in additive. So I think about sort of that space, they, they really didn't have prior investors. It, it looks like if I am in PitchBook, you can see in 2022, they got a grant from Nippon Metal and Mining, but it's pretty small. So this isn't something where there's a lot of you know deal history behind it. But there are some similar transactions that have been done in this space. I think the most notable one is multi-mechanics, which was probably a 20... 19 deal or 2020 deal that Siemens bought where Solvay was an investor and it was a multi-physics tool for unlocking potential failure modes and uh, multi-material types of uh, composite materials. Um, not a transaction, but there's other competitors in this space like AlphaStar that have been doing this forever. So um, as how, for how that integrates into nano dimension with the other things that they're doing, uh, not exactly sure. Um, not, you know, to see the, the exact fit right now, but not a lot of uh, history on additive flow so far. Mm. They've been. Yeah. I mean, they've been, yeah, they've been in stealth since 2017, but only launched in 2020. So pandemic company. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, they look. Their sort of claim is that they they improve printing time, um, and they do have some pretty audacious uh, claims around um, what they can can in, do to increase printing speeds and so on. But um, improve printing time by applying process parameters selectively, um, and also that they are process agnostic. So I guess my my big question mark would be there that, you know, if it's a company that's been around for, well, now six years, but I would say three years in, in, in earnest, to be doing, be making strides in a process agnostic sort of a way, which means think about it, there's materials, there's geometry, there's printing technologies. These, these are, you know, this is multi, it's a multi-physics simulation software for sure. But that is, uh, that is quite a lot to be able to optimize for and to be good at all of those things all at the same time is, is uh, not, it's not, <laughs> I don't think that's claimable. <laughs> well, but but I, I'm, at... sure I'm sure they've developed expertise in certain materials and certain, you know, process technologies. Um, and they, look, they've got past customers include EOS, Autodesk and Airbus. So everybody's sort of looking at, especially when you get into multi-materials, what are the failure mode analysis between the, you know, the materials? How do they fail? Where do they fail? What are the certain geometries? That's why I bring up multi-mechanics. They were certainly, uh, you know, going hard down that space, but these were very challenging transactions because they're small, they're niche they're in the ultra science side of the, uh, the equation. And, you know, usually those that are pushing the envelope of new materials are the ones that are most focused on it, not the general market. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, wrapping up on the M&A, we started with some really good news with Cubicure. Um, and I think we're going to end on on not a great note here, which is that Sigma Additive uh, Solutions has got a, a letter of intent 
um, out to acquire Next Trip and sell their additive manufacturing based IP. So Next Trip is an online travel company, 100% nothing to do with 3D printing. Um, and then the uh, basically the, the the skeleton of their IP that they have is going to be sold. Um, the buyer currently is undisclosed. The amount that they are selling for is undisclosed, but it is said to be being sold to a strategic buyer. And look, you know, this obviously needs to go through shareholder approvals and market and regulatory approvals. Um, but the deal is expected to close later this year. Um, and look, we covered Sigma Additive in episode one, I believe, when they had uh, retained Lake Street to try and cut some deal from them. Yeah, it's it's been a, a bit of a sad story, I think, for Sigma Additive. Yeah, I think we we talked about this on the first go round. This is a really hard deal. The fact that Lake Street, you know, signed up for it is, uh, you know, a little bit, um, you know, of the hard kinds of deals. This one's a very challenging one just because they were losing a lot of money. The balance sheet was, you know, you know, had cash on it, but it was they were always having to go fundraise. You know, I think if I last looked, it was something like they would lose about $7 million a year. So, you know, I think, We'll see. We don't have any details on the buyer at this point, but it, you know they're going to have to go through that vote. But there's also this weird dynamic for anybody who wants to go look into it that they're they're basically going to set up a reverse merger with a travel company on the back end of this transaction, and so that's another sort of uh, kind of an interesting conundrum because usually you clean up the shell and make sure there's no liabilities, no uh, you know other issues. So. They're moving fast to convert the, the corporation to a whole new entity um, post-closing of whatever this IP deal is. And so they will become a travel company. As you said, uh, reverse merger, otherwise known as a backdoor listing, it basically means that you can get a listing on the stock exchange without having to do the hard work of an IPO. Um, and that's that's what's happening here. But and I believe usually, that there is some connection between the two companies as well, some you know, uh, common investors or, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just usually somebody cleans up those uh, shell companies to make sure they're free of liabilities. And this is happening fairly quickly. So we'll see. Uh, everybody stay tuned because uh, it'll be interesting to see who the announced uh, acquirer of that IP is. Perhaps what we haven't touched upon here is that the AM, AM-based IP is in, in process monitoring. And and the process monitoring whole piece of things in this industry um, is, is an interesting one because I think it's still really yet to be determined um, exactly how in process monitoring plays out. There are really important. There is a really important need for it, um, but it's yet to be properly codified into the standards. Um, there are a lot of different approaches and techniques. Uh, people are adopting this on a sort of a piecemeal basis, and uh, there are a couple of different startups in this scene. But then there's also some larger players like Zeiss, for example, um, and. And so, yeah, it, it's it's actually even yet to be determined what will happen with the process monitoring market in general for additive. I mean, if you think that the additive market is relatively small, in process monitoring market is extremely small. Um, I did note in their um, prospectus that they they filed with the SEC. Uh, they've got a little paragraph there around intellectual property. Obviously, that's th- those are the assets that they're selling. This is you know they've got they've, they do have a number of patents. Um, having a look at them, they're pretty broad, uh, or at least their key patents are quite broad. And it made me wonder um, how how defensible they are. 
um, given that we do have a number of other companies also operating in this space. So clearly their intellectual property hasn't stopped other companies from appearing in the marketplace. Um, But having said that in the prospectus, they've got some note in there saying that they've identified at least two companies that they believe are infringing on their IP. And and so I thought that was an interesting take because uh, I guess if you're selling the intellectual property, what are you doing? Are you selling two lawsuits at the same time? So saying, oh, here here are two companies you can potentially go after. Um, or, Or maybe it was just a matter of they needed to disclose that. I mean, well, obviously they're going to have to disclose that, but but well, they're a public company, so they've got to make that disclosure one. I think if they have an awareness that somebody's infringing the IP, that becomes material to the company, and they, they have to make that disclosure. The, the, the problem, though, is the value of an award, if they go out, is going to be far lower than the cost of going to enforce their patents. So I think that's probably the biggest issue in terms of, you know, that's why they haven't pursued it. And, and that's, you know up to whoever buys this to decide if they want to do it, but they're going to have the same problem. This is a small market. The other thing, you know, that could happen here is can those patents be challenged? You know, we don't know what's going on between the companies and, and uh, how they've approached it. Sigma was an early player in this space. The one thing you can give them credit for is, you know, they've been around a long time. So they got some of the, you know, early patents in this space. And you said they were broad. That's probably why they got such broad patents, because they were probably some of the first to apply for some of these. Yeah, correct. With that said, right, I mean, this is, you know, there's no one solution that's going to solve in-process monitoring. It's going to come from third-party solutions. It's going to come partly from OEMs. It's going to be cobbled together and standards have to start to drive it as well, as you mentioned. So the value of this and going after some of these small startups that they're competing with, there's not a lot of money in, in these other players. No, no. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, they were one of the earliest to the to the scene. And actually, they were one of the earlier listed companies. They listed in 2010, um, which, you know, I mean, everyone gets caught up in the in the SPAC, the SPAC run, you know, of 2021. Um, this this is a now a 13 year old listed company. And um, honestly, if you, it's a bit of a sad story. If you look at the share price, I mean, they were once listing as high as uh, the share price was going as high as $500 a share. And it's now at 20 cents. So, yeah, as I mentioned, we were hanging out in Austin not so long ago and, you know, we did, there was a conversation saying, hey, (laughs) Alex and Danny, why don't you change your name to Printing Pennies? (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. VC, we have um, uh, a a couple of little uh, financings here that have happened. Uh, the first one being Azure 3D has raised four million in the series at A2. Uh, Azure 3D has uh, is is a is a you know materials and printing SLA type company. They've got a couple of interesting investors though. Definitely some 3D printing stalwarts um, that uh, names that we would recognise from from you know many other places around the 3D printing industry over the years. So John Hartner is now the current CEO, but he's also an investor. So anyone who remembers John Hartner, he was the prior CEO of X1 before it was sold to Desktop Metal. Um, and before that, he was the CEO of Envision Tech, uh, also now a Desktop Metal company. Um, another one is Joe Allison, uh, who is an investor. He was uh, the former CEO of Stratasys Direct Manufacturing. He's now the well, CEO. Don't forget, jo- Joe Allison was the owner of Solid Concepts, which was part of the acquisition with Harvest Technologies that Stratus did for direct uh, manufacturing. And that was the largest of the two. So Joe did very well on that transaction. That's why you see him sitting alongside a lot of these. So uh, yeah, good uh, very point. notable. 
Good point. Yeah. And he's now the um, CEO of Evolve Additive. Um, so yeah, look, there's, and there's a couple of names um, floating around there. Uh, yeah. The other one, Hugh Evans is uh, also on that one, former corporate development person for 3D systems and an institutional investor before that. But, you know, from the way I understand it, I, it this round didn't disclose who the investors were. Um, I'm likely it's, you know, it's probably likely they were all involved again on a on a second round, but they had done a prior round for everybody. You know, it, when Azul came out of sort of stealth mode, it was, you know, the first time I think we saw them was Rapid in Chicago. Was that 2021? And they had in August of 2020 raised $12.5 million. Uh, and that's where Joe Allison, John Hartner, and you know, a lot of the you know current investors we just routed off were all part of that that round. So yeah. and, and that's where they kind of came in. So this was, you know, I think there's a lot of question marks on where the company was from a funding standpoint because it's mm. been a few years. And so it's been a little quiet of late. They certainly didn't um, exhibit it at the you know, wrap it this year. And also the SEC filing said it was for a round of up to 15 million of which only 4 million was filled. Yeah. I'm not sure how to read into that. Well, so, I mean, that means the round could still be open. There could still be people that may want to close in on it because it's, it's not uncommon to have a round where you're saying we were going to do up to. And so the way that it's a form D filing that's done with the SEC. And so it's just saying that you've closed on this amount. Now, um, and th that leads me to believe that they're probably open to closing on more and they may have some some conversations going. And this was an initial close. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see somebody right. else come in later. There you go. You heard it here first. If you want to invest in Azul 3D, go <laughs> contact John Hartner. <laughs> okay. I'm moving on. Elementum 3D uh, raised $3 million of venture funding from undisclosed investors just last month. Um, Elementum 3D, if you're not familiar with them, are really a materials company and specifically a metal powders based company. Um, and their sort of big um, claim on, in, on intellectual property has been this rapid additive manufacturing powders or materials that they have, uh, which is it's essentially where you are adding um, ceramics into um, a, a metal alloy uh, in order to provide some sort of uh, dispersion strengthening. Um, it does mean that when you're when you're putting in ceramics into a, a, a metal alloy, you can get um, you can definitely get increased properties, but you can also get better printability. Uh, most importantly, so um, additive is a um, a very high cooling rate um, technology, and so um, you know if you want to get to be a real metallurgical nerd about it. Um, you can do some really, really cool things with materials, and that's really what um, Elementum 3D is doing. Um, this is also, a, you know, AM Ventures-backed um, company, speaking of, um, you know, AMV earlier in the episode. Uh, but, yeah, small small round for them, $3 million. Don't really even know what it's for, but I yeah, gather it's additional financing. They've, they've done a number of prior rounds. I mean, Sumitomo is also listed as an investor, not in this round, but they invested in 2020. The one thing that's also notable about Elementum is that they've been remarkably good at doing programs for government grants. They have Department of Defense grants, NASA grants, um, Colorado Economic Development, so uh, National Science Foundation. So they, yeah, they've they won. Do. They've, they've been very popular. I mean, very yeah, very popular. Um, and their their alloys have had a lot of interest. Which is is the, the curious thing for me is that. Putting ceramics into metal alloys to enhance properties is not a new concept at all, right? Like 
the casting industry was doing this before additive was doing this. This is this is a known phenomenon um, in in so, you know with metal matrix composites is what we call them. So um, you know how Elementum has managed to be so incredibly successful and and it is is interesting. It's definitely interesting. I mean, I think they were one of the first to really come out with uh, this approach. It's not necessarily like I said, new knowledge, but you know, looking to commercialize this approach in additive. So I think that's commendable. The, the they're not the only ones that have done it, though, right? I mean, I think just to stay on the MMCs for a second for metal matrix composites. I mean, Gamma Alloys was, I think, the very first deal that uh, Boeing Horizon X did, and that's another metal matrix composite company. Yeah. So uh, you know, the one problem I think the industry has, and the reasons why Boeing and Lockheed and others have been interested in this space, and the DoD is interested, is that metal matrix composites are hard to machine. And so additive is an area of interest for some of these types of parts that are high wear, high strength parts, just because, you know, machining big blocks of an NMC is a, a huge challenge. And so um, I think that's been, you know, uniquely interesting. That's why NASA and DOD, you know, probably have, have been keenly looking at it. And that's why you can see companies like Gamma Alloys have had DOD investors as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, just on the uh, on the metal alloys, uh, aluminium alloy in additive has always been a little problematic. Um, the alloy that you're actually able to process is is not a particularly strong alloy. The properties aren't fantastic, um, and Alumentum brought out this sixty sixty one RAM. Uh, is, that's what they call it. So it's got a high portion of uh, ceramics in it. Uh, that that's been a really popular alloy for them. All right, let's let's move on. We're, we're getting too much into the weeds. Uh, Metafall three D raised one point seven eight million dollars of seed money just recently, um, in a deal led by Differential Ventures. Um, I met Metafall three D actually at, at a Formnext forum. So um, it was really great to see the team and also to see some of the parts that they'd made. Um, this is like a, a you know design for additive cloud-based software. It's it's kind of like an end topology competitor is really what I would is the best sort of snapshot analysis I can give of it. I don't not sure too too much more to say about this. They're the Canadian based, so you know I think that's kind of cool uh, to see something you know happening in in Canada. And otherwise, best of luck to them. Yep, I would say that's uh, that's about right. I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot else to add. Um, so Stand Up Ventures and Jetstream participated on that round as well. Just uh, a couple yeah, they're like for climate tech funds, right? So, so you're sort of selling some green c- credentials there, I think, with Metafold 3D. Right. Okay, so uh, next one is Psyche Robotics. I think that's how you pronounce it. S-A-E-K-I Robotics. They raised $2.3 million of pre-seed funding. Um, They offer uh, what they call robotics as a service. Um, So basically they own and operate the robots for you, um, which uh, we have covered this kind of concept in prior episodes, but more along the lines of when you've got a company who is, um, and I'm thinking, say, for example, Caracol AM is a good sort of corollary to this one where they um, will integrate robotics, but then also their own extruders. And they're kind of material agnostic in that way, um, probably a bit more leaning towards the polymer side, though, because that makes the most amount of sense, as opposed to Caracol, who will sell you the integrated robot and printing system, um, Psyche Robotics uh, more are operating as this, yeah, robotics as a service where they are going to operate those robots for you so you can own them, but at their factories is the idea there. Um, they're based in Zurich in Switzerland. 
A couple, just uh, the only kind of comments I've got here. It looks like it was 2.36 million pre-money valuation. Looked fairly low for a, a startup like this. It's a seed round. It was at 3.76 million. Again, everybody, this is pitch book. If it's not right, um, we're happy to correct it if, if we don't have it uh, exactly right. Uh, and they had a few uh, investors in on this round. Wingman Ventures, Vento, Ravento Ventures, Getty. Um, and it looks like it was sort of really their first round. They had been involved in an accelerator before in, in 2021 called Venture Kick. And so they had, they had gotten a little bit of funding through that as well as an, an early grant. So um, this is sort of the first real capital that has kind of come into the company. So, uh, you know, that's that's notable. That first seed round that they did, like I said, that was, you know, like a $40,000 seed round through that venture kick fund. So, well, yeah, I mean, they're calling the $2.3 million a pre-seed. Uh, so. <laughs> tomato, tomato, you know, just, you know definitions um, are fluid here on some of these early rounds. Um, Pre-seed, seed one, seed two, seed three, seed four, yeah, right? Yeah, I, mean, I know, I know. Yeah. 2.3 is a pre-seed or an right. anything seed is, is kind of impressive though. Look, it's respectable right now. I mean, I think that's the thing is, you know, in this market, fundraising's hard and to get your first round of capital coming out of the gate, it's a, it's a big win for this team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, speaking of decent amounts of seed money, uh, Kind Designs, um, they just recently wow. raised 5 million in seed funding. Um, they are a, uh, a sort of 3D printing concrete type company, but their deal is that they 3D print seawalls. So that's where you've got, you know, for example, um, you know, coral structures and so on. You're, you're 3D printing these walls where you can encourage sea life to grow and have a habitat. Well, and, you know, they're based in Florida. It looks like um, they had done a crowdfunding round of $2.9 million before, but in Florida, they're going to need, you know, all the seawalls they can get. And, and so, so that's a right market. Everyone. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll actually, yeah, I think it was after our first episode, we, we did get a reach out from another company doing the, the similar thing. They actually have a broader portfolio of, of, cement products that they print. It's a company called Printed Pratio and Justin D'Angelo reached out. And I'll tell you, I, I was, um, you know, I was impressed by the capabilities uh, that, that they had. So I'm guessing kind design, there's a market here. I, you know, uh, some of the players though, on this one, like the Florida Opportunity Fund, you know, some of their, their, you know, Florida centric. So um, this isn't a scalable, you know, type of a, a company, but for purposes of, you know, you're not going to need one of these in Indiana and in mass markets, but for seawalls, if that's their primary focus, which is what it looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think these concrete 3D printing um, companies, they, they really raise money. I mean, you know, we, we, we get kind of a bit too tied up in the metals world sometimes, I think, or at least I definitely do. Um, but, you know, the world of concrete 3D printing is is definitely one that gets a lot of mainstream media attention um, and a huge, uh, I, I think, a, a much larger investor pool. You know, it's funny because it's, you know, sometimes you're just looking at a, you know, a large concrete truck that's piping in concrete with a, you know, a gantry system <laughs> and right. And you're just kind of like, whoa, what's what's, what, that? Are, <laughs> yeah, what are we looking at? You know, and so now it's what I do think some of these companies that are doing the smaller stuff, they're actually on robotic arms. Um, they have more architectural capabilities, but I think there's just the media loves like the idea of this 3D printed house. And then uh, you always hear, oh, this is going to change everything. And, um, and, and, you know, I, maybe it will. That kind of leads us to this next one. I'll, I'll jump into this one for a second. It's called SQ4D 
hadn't heard of it. When we did the searches, it came up. They haven't re- actually raised money, but we're going to bring it up because they did an SEC filing for a, uh, a Reg D, a 506 rule, which so they can go solicit uh, investors. And they're trying to raise $20 million. If you go on to their website, they certainly have lots of news and press and all kinds of stuff. I think they're based in New Jersey. So to your point, right, the, the press and, and market loves something that they can really understand like a 3D printed house. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I thought that this, even just this uh, pickup, the way we picked them up was through this SCC filing. Um, it's a, do you want to just touch on that maybe for the audience around this is this being a, a way in which you can fundraise? Well, well, so this is still, it's a regular, a lot of the deals that we are mentioning here, and we talked about this on the John Hartner deal earlier with Azul, right? They do what you call a form D. When you raise money and it's not done through the public markets, typically you're relying on Reg D to do that. And there's a couple of variations. So if you're using 506C is the one which they're doing, you can actually go out and do advertisements and you can go solicit investors. In the case of 506C though, it has to be accredited investors because uh, if you go to 506B, you can't have you you can't do the solicitations, but you're allowed unaccredited investors up to 35 of them. So there's all these nuances. What they they're going to go down this path because they want to advertise, and they're it's sort of like crowdfunding on their own. You just have to be an accredited investor. So in, in some respects, we just helped them out. Anybody who's interested in this space can go over there and contact <laughs> the company. We just gave them free advertising. Um, we don't know them. We're not, uh, by the way, uh, just this, there's no investment it's advice no on the show. <laughs> right. Don't come back to us if uh, it's it's not the deal you wanted. Um, but, <laughs> but it, you know, it's interesting that it was an approach and, and we typically are screening for SEC filings and others before we jump on the show just to see things that happen. And we come up with things that are sort of new companies to us sometimes, which is sort of what happened with Kind Designs and SQ4D. Yeah, absolutely. And often ones that uh, kind of, for whatever reason, miss out on the whole 3D printing news cycle, um, just get get lost. Because um, again, I think with these 3D printing, these concrete 3D printing companies, they're not that hooked into that to the 3D printing industry per se. And they're kind of not that interested in it. Because um, like I said, their investor pool goes a bit further and wider than what, you know, the, the usual 3D printing technologies do. All right, listen, we're going to get stuck into these public markets. Um, not a huge amount because obviously we had all the quarterlies that we covered in the um, last episode, um, but we have had a little bit more movement on the 3D Systems Stratasys thing, and that was just very recently. Um, so 3D Systems uh, delivered their enhanced proposal to Stratasys. Um, that valued, it, according to them, uh, Stratus, Stratus shares at $27 a share. Um, of course, this is inclusive of all of their supposed cost synergies, which I have previously uh, expressed some uncertainty around. <laughs> um, and, and actually, Stratus did too. So there you go. A- again, these 3D systems press releases, they're fantastic. Um, so Jeffrey Graves, the CEO of, C- of, of 3D Systems, um, has accused the Stratasys board of, of fiddling away shareholder value by trying to run out the clock on the merger discussions. Um, and so there's, you know, as we have seen in this whole thing, there's been a bit of mudslinging going both ways. Um, and then the very latest, so a, a day after this 3D Systems press release came out, Stratasys has issued a press release 
from them saying that they the board has unanimously concluded that the 3D systems bit does not constitute a superior proposal. So remembering, obviously, when we've talked about this previously, that wording is particularly important because it means that if they did believe it was a superior proposal, that they would have an out to exit that uh, merger agreement with Desktop Metal. So, uh, and just kind of walking through that, um, as part of the not superior proposal, Stratasys decided to throw out the Align acquisition um, <laughs> because Align represents, according to them, 23% of 3D Systems revenues. And um, so, boy, what we started with, uh, we're concluding with, right? I mean, I think it's one of those mm-hmm. things where, you know, it's it's going to be hard. I don't know if this deal gets resurrected at all, right? We, as we've gone through these I think this is probably the final blow on the the, the current rounds of 3D systems, Stratasys talks. I, just because I just said that, this is this it's going to come back. I'm sure it'll be a press release tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> it'll be tomorrow, but uh, no, it's it's going to be hard. And I think you know, with, with that hanging over this deal, it gives certainly the top cover for Stratasys if they do not want to accept a transaction to to walk away from it so that's that's why i throw that kind of comment out yeah Um, so the next important date here is the 28th of september and that's when you have the vote on the stratasys desktop metal deal i will say you know if if you were 3d systems trying to participate in this merger discussion in good faith uh, which i believe that they are then you know you would you would of course put together you know another offer if you've got the time to do so um and try and negotiate until their last dying breath. I think you're right. I think that this is the finish of this round for now um, until this vote on the 28th of September. Um, But look, there's no guarantees that the 28th of September is going to yield a Stratasys desktop metal merger. Um, And so these conversations can still be up um, up for renegotiation after the 28th of September. First of all, I, I think Jeff Graves and the team at 3D Systems are genuine in their approach. I think that uh, they've made multiple approaches, and we've learned through some of our prior episodes, you know, that this has been going like for on three for years. Longer. Right, right. <laughs> so it's not over. Like let's just let's uh, let's say that. But I think for the interim period right now, that comment with the aligned technologies and the uncertainty around the long term revenues is certainly what I think it gives the Stratasys team a moment to pause, take a deep breath. And like Stratasys is the group right now is sort of the strongest of the, you know, of the 3D printing from holding up margins, the best potential growth opportunities. So I think for them to be able to sit back and hold off these kinds of discussions, um, they can do that for a while longer. I think now the question is what happens on September 28th? And if, are we taking bets right now? Or what are we, what are we doing on this one? Because, mm. um, yeah, boy. You know, I, I, board I, seem to be very much in favor of it. That's all I'll say. So, I, you know, and just, I, just middle is, is very much in favor of it. So it's really oh, over to the shareholders. <laughs> it, it is over to the shareholders. And, and I think from a board position, they were very strong on it because it was important from the nano dimension standpoint. And it also became important relative to sort of the negotiation with 3D systems. If you clear the decks and say, well, nano dimension is sort of not the, a player anymore. And if you're looking at this, um, you know, 3D systems latest offer and said, this isn't going to work. Um, now you're looking at the real merits of this, uh, this desktop metal deal, the cost of integration, the real synergies that are there. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the shareholders as an aggregate group vote on this one. And, 
And I think there's um, some sentiment. If you were walking around Austin, talking to people who own shares of, of Stratasys, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, this is going to be a tough one. I, I, I would not be shocked, and I, I'm going to throw out my my bet here that they don't approve the current deal as it stands. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, desktop doesn't have another option. So there's pro there, it's not to say there won't be a desktop deal, but I don't know if we're going to see something in their existing capacity in the same. Do deal. not forget though, as well, nano dimension has not completely bad out. They are still Stratus shareholders, um, with a very significant shareholding. So it's not as if they don't have any influence to bear on, on well, the outcome of this. So, but yeah, I, I put that in my calculus. Do you think they're voting for a desktop metal deal? I don't think so. I, I don't think so either, right? So I think that just took, that's, you know, there's what, 12.5%. So then you have s- some further ones to go in, in that. Who knows, right? I mean, it, like it, it could make it through. If it does, it'll be a huge win for Desktop Metal and and, and Rick. It's not to say that I, I don't have, uh, a, you know, uh, you know, thoughts that that wouldn't be a good deal. I just think that the the dynamic around negotiating that transaction has changed tremendously in the last couple of months. And so the economics are, and, and really, I think the strength in negotiations are going to lie with Stratasys and the shareholders. If they decide that they can get a better deal, they're just going to vote this deal down and renegotiate it if they still want to do it. You know what I thought was funny was all of the reasons that they have rejected the 3D systems bid that they've listed, you could equally say about the desktop metal merger. Um, So, you know, they have said, for example, we don't believe that the cost synergies have credibility. Uh, You could say that about the cost synergies claim between desktop metal and Stratasys, in my opinion. They've also said that there are structural challenges to a path to attractive profitability with 3D systems. Well, I believe you could also say the same about desktop metal. They've panned um, 3D systems margins um, because they're 39% as opposed to 49%. I mean, this sounds like you're getting very picky um, about who you're choosing to dance with, right? Um, and and then they've also said, uh, not, not really relatable so much to desktop metal, but I thought that this was a worthy point just to touch on here is that there would be a a lengthy regulatory process, something like nine to 18 months in order to get this deal through between as a merger between Stratasys and 3D Systems. This is a question actually that's been asked um, of of me and of you and of other people and and as as a point of discussion is if there was a Stratasys 3D Systems merger to happen, obviously two biggest listed 3D printing companies um, globally, is there some sort of anti-competitive concern here um, I, I will say I don't believe there there is. There's still plenty of other listed companies. There's still plenty of OEMs. I, I, I definitely do think it would create a bit of a, a real stronghold on a lot of the sales channels, that's for sure. Um, but I don't I don't believe that regulators would have an issue with it. And also the 3D print, we, this is what we forget. We forget the 3D printing industry is so small compared to other industries. I don't really think regulators care enough. Yeah, I uh, look. I, uh, first thing is the U.S. regulators are changing and making. They call it Hart Scott Rodino, is the act that they're re- they're actually in the process of uh, ratcheting down and making it harder for some of these transactions to get approved. So that they're mid stride in it. One, I think that um, 
you're kind of playing where the winds blow. And right now the winds are blowing for more regulation, more uh, scrutiny on some of these deals, especially in the tech space. And I, I'm like, it's hard for some of these regulators to make a really informed decision on some of these because they don't have industry knowledge. And it's easy for all of us to say, oh, guess what? You know, this is only a subset of manufacturing. And so if that's the case, this is really small. Absolutely. In that case, I'll tell you 100%, it makes no sense to uh, to, to stop this. But the fact that these are the two largest 3D printing companies. And as they look at these new regulations coming in the pike, if the regulators decide they want to start making this one or, or a few others in the tech area, right, which has sort of been come under scrutiny, I think you're going to see that, um, you know, it's going to take some massaging some time. So I'm not surprised by the announcement. It's going to take a long time to get through it. Hopefully it doesn't. Usually Hart Scott Retino, you know, you're in and out of it uh, in a very you know short window. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was 60 days. But, um, you know, if, if there aren't, you know, things contested, I, I don't think we're going to have to find out on this one, frankly, but I think, mm, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, something we can all certainly, yeah, we, we, we can jump back in way more detail in our next episode if this is something that changes and becomes real. And uh, we can talk about the new HSR changes uh, and how they might affect this deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll point out as well, I mean, this is obviously not super current, but um you know, desktop metal acquired X1 and there was a little bit of rumbling about that being potentially a little anti-competitive, um, claiming too much market share. Um, but that deal went through easy as so. Right. Hey. I mean, look at the total revenues of the companies that, you know, at the end of the day, right. Desktop metal was, you know, before you had X1 was what, 20 million in revenues. And so, um, and, and X1 wasn't, uh, you know, a major player from a standpoint of, you know, where I think the regulators are going to jump in and get too, too upset. And it only covers a small slice of 3D printing, right, on the binder jetting side of the world. And, you know, it was, that's an easy one to get out of. When you start to put a 3D systems and a stratasys together, which covers a much wider swath of all the various metals, polymers. Three metals approaches. and polymers, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a little different story. Yeah, yeah, true. Okay, all right, well... Look, I think we've uh, got a, a very interesting episode 10 shaping up already. Um, but for now, this has been episode nine of Printing Money. Uh, thank you so much, Danny. Um, always great to chat 3D printing financing and public markets with you. And once again, thank you to everyone that we spoke with in Austin. It was a, a, a brilliant week and um, and we so appreciated hearing all your feedback. Please get in touch with us. As Danny mentioned, we had you know the guy from Printed Patio reaching out to us after episode one to say, hey, this is me, this is my company, and this is what we've been doing. Like, feel free. Either Danny and I are totally accessible and available, and we love to hear all your stories. So thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Printing Money, the insider's perspective on finance and investment in the 3D printing industry. For more information about what you just listened to or for past episodes, visit www.3dprint.com. 